Hey, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. If you uh, don't have a Bible, one, there's one of these around you. It's page 40 in this Bible. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, I wonder how many of you have ever taken a vacation and it didn't go quite as you planned. Anyone? Yeah, I hear some laughter already. Uh, I, I saw this article this week recently in the Huffington Post, uh, and it was actual complaints from dissatisfied customers with one particular vacation company. And here are some of their complaints. Here are some examples. First one, it's lazy of the local shopkeepers in Puerto Vallarta to close in the afternoons. I often needed to buy things during siesta time. This should be banned. All right, so, you you know, something about fitting in with the local culture. Uh, On my holiday in India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like spicy food. Uh, This one one has to be made up. The beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we returned to our room. Uh, How about this one? Speaking of beach people, uh, they should not allow topless sunbathing on the beach. It was very distracting for my husband who just wanted to relax, right? (laughs) I like this one. Uh, I compared the size of our one-bedroom suite to our friend's three-bedroom suite, and ours was significantly smaller. Something to complain about. There were too many Spanish people there. The receptionist spoke Spanish. The food was Spanish. No one told us there would be so many foreigners in this foreign country. And finally, this one. I love this one. It took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It took the Americans only three hours to get home. This seems unfair. Do you ever feel like life is unfair? (laughs) Like, things don't always go as expected. I mean, specifically, we don't like having to suffer, do we? We don't like having pain in our lives. And because we don't like pain and suffering, we often go to great lengths to avoid pain and suffering. But there's one problem. Pain is inevitable. I don't need to tell you that, do I? I mean, the struggle is always going to be there. Jesus even told us that. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. And you've probably heard people say something like, well, you know, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest warriors. And you hear that, and maybe you think, okay, now where is that in Scripture, first of all? But second of all, you may think, God must have me pegged all wrong because I'm not as strong as he thinks I am. Well, probably every one of you here today has gone through a season of life where there's been a struggle. And if you haven't yet, rest assured, that time is going to come because all of us, have pain and suffering. It may be something you got yourself into, maybe a a poor decision that leads you down a path that you never intended to go down, and you don't know how you got there, and you don't know how you're going to get out, but you never thought that this would happen when you made that decision so long ago. Or maybe it's something that uh, somebody else did to you, like you didn't even do anything wrong, but somebody else made a decision, and it's got you on the wrong path, and now because it wasn't even your fault, you don't know how to get out of it. Or it could just be that life hits you with a crisis beyond your control. Someone gets sick, somebody dies, and nobody's to blame. But for some of you right now, uh, you're in a place where you just don't know how to get out. I mean, suffering is a reality of life. Every one of us has suffered or will suffer, and for some of you, you might find yourself in a mess And you're wondering, how am I supposed to respond? Like, how do I respond to difficult circumstances? Um, Because here's the truth. How we respond in those times of suffering and in those times of difficulty, in those times of pain, how we respond can set us on a course for the rest of our lives and can especially define what our relationship with God is going to look like. One teacher I know describes our spiritual journey or our relationship with God in kind of three stages. Uh, 
uh, he says there are three stages of your faith. The first one is confident faith. Like stage one, confident faith. Uh, we, we have confident faith when we first find our way back to God, right? When we uh, accept Christ or we become a religious person, we, it's a stage that can last for a long time. And when we have confident faith, we say that we're excited about what we found. Uh, in many ways, it feels like life is working, like, like God is hearing our prayers. He's answering them. Church is exciting for us. Uh, we can't, just can't get enough of God's word, and we're filled with a lot of joy and gratitude. Now, no matter how long this season of confident faith lasts, inevitably at some point we'll find ourselves in a season of trials, in a season of uh, suffering and difficulty, and we may run up against uh, the second stage, which we'll call challenged faith. All right. Now, during this stage, everything that once worked in the confident faith stage doesn't seem to be working anymore. Like we feel like God doesn't hear our prayers. Uh, obedience no longer seems to get us anywhere. Doubts grow. Questions emerge, and we long for those days when we had confident faith, when our faith was new and exciting. What about you? Maybe you're in that stage right now. Maybe you're in that stage where you're questioning, does God care what I'm feeling? Does he even know? Is he even real? Maybe you're in that stage right now. What are you going through? If you picked up message notes on the way, and I want you to take those out. Um, There's a No, it's not a coloring page. All right. I know some of you are looking at the message notes thinking, boy, Steve really missed his calling. He could have been an artist, but I don't want you to be distracted by the beautiful artwork. All right. I want you to get the message of what's in there today, but there's a blank near the top that's labeled the blank desert. Just take a moment and put in that blank something that represents your suffering or your trial or what you're going through right now. Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a phrase, maybe it's a symbol. For some of you, you won't have anything now, but maybe you have in the past. Just go ahead. I'll give you just a moment to write that down. We're going to come back to what you wrote down in just a moment, but I want, I want you to be sure to hear what I say next because there's a third stage of faith, and that third stage of faith is called living faith. And I think most of us would say this is the kind of faith we want. Living faith is a strong and unshakable faith. It's a faith that is capable of holding course no matter what gets in the way. But here's the thing. There's really only one way to get living faith. And it has everything to do with how you get through what you're going through. And I promise that we'll get there. But first, I want to tell you that during this series, How to Get Through What You're Going Through, we're going to spend a little time every week in the Old Testament. And especially in the book of Exodus. Uh, But before we get to our passage this morning, I want to just give you a little background of what's happened in the world up until this point in Exodus 3. Exodus is a historical account of the nation of Israel, or the people called the Israelites. The Israelites are God's chosen people. So God created everyone, but there was a group of people that he set apart from the beginning to be a unique blessing and to have a mission in this world. They were special to God, and we get to read about their journey all throughout the Old Testament. Now, at one point in history, during a period of severe famine in their land, the Israelites escaped their homeland where they had lived, and they went looking for refuge in Egypt. Their homeland was ravaged by famine, and they ended up in Egypt. And they ended up in Egypt largely because there was one of their own, a man named Joseph, who had been put uh, second in command in Egypt. So he had won favor with the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and he had been put over um, distributing food in Egypt. And so a lot of the Israelites found out about this, and they migrated into Egypt. 
But I wonder how many of you ever had um, company that stayed a little too long at your house? <laughs> this is kind of what happened uh, with the nation of Israel. They stayed a little too long, and new leaders came along in Egypt, and they forgot about Joseph, and they forgot about um, how he had saved their country as well from famine. And so they took the nation of Israel as their slaves. They took them and and bound them and made them work for the people of Egypt. They were mistreated and abused. It was a horrific time in the history of the nation of Israel. So how did they get through what they were going through? Well, today we're going to look at two different scenes and, uh, in their story and see how they responded to eat in each one of them. Okay, so let's pick up the story in Exodus 3 first. At this point, God is choosing a man named Moses uh, who was... Uh, to, to, to lead his people out of Egypt. Now, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law in the wilderness uh, when the following took place, Exodus 3, 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, all through the, the Bible, fire is often used as a sign of God. And so the readers of Exodus would have known immediately what was happening here. Now, the people at the time probably didn't know, didn't understand. Moses was caught off guard. We see that. Um, but the readers would know that something very important was going on here. And, and so Moses sees this burning bush, and he walks over to investigate the situation. As he gets closer, a voice comes from the burning bush, and it's the Lord. Uh, verse 7, if you skip down to verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up and out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So now go, Moses, now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, there's a bunch of different stuff happening here in this passage, okay? But one thing I want you to notice is this. What are the people of Israel doing in response to their suffering? Remember, they're being held captive. They're slaves, all right? They don't have any control over their destiny at this point. What are they doing? Look at verse 7 again. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And the Lord says, I am concerned about their suffering. So what was their response? They were crying out. They cried out to God in the midst of their misery, in the middle of their suffering, they're crying out to God. And notice right away that God, like a loving father, God says that he is concerned about them, that he sees them, that he hears them. He is concerned for his children. It's so important for us to see this and realize that, that the God of the Israelites is the same loving Father who loves you. It's the same God that we worship today. He has heard your cries. He's concerned about your pain. Whatever it is you wrote down on your desert, God knows about that. He hears you when you cry out to him about that. It's a real example. This isn't some ancient story. This is a real example of God loving his people and desiring to respond to their pain. All right, let's keep going. Turn over a couple chapters to Exodus 13. Exodus 13. I want you to see how God intervened and how he responded to the cries of his children. Uh, through Moses, he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, one important detail, extremely important detail that we don't want to miss is this. Um, in Exodus 13, 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now you think, why on earth would you return to Egypt? You were slaves there. 
right? Just pay attention. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now, I'm I'm assuming that you know the difference between uh, highway people and country road people when you travel, right? How many of you are highway people? You just want to get to A to B as fast as you can. Uh, Don't care what roads it takes you on. Don't care. You're not even looking out the side window, so it doesn't matter, right? You're just going, uh, you're looking at the speedometer, and the radar detector, maybe. <laughs> and you just want to get there as fast as you can. And then there's country road people, right? How many country road people do we have in here? So you have country road people who aren't going to take the highways. They're going to take the back roads. They're going to wind through the countryside. They're going to look at the scenery. They're going to lolly around. It's going to take them twice as long. But they don't care because the journey uh, is half the fun, right? Well, you must read this and think, well, God must be a country road person. Because he's not taking them the fast way. He's not taking them the way through the, the nation of the Philistines. Instead, he's going to take them through the desert on the country road. Right? And so, uh, but isn't life like that sometimes? I mean, isn't sometimes we, we try to do the right things, we come to church, we pray, but still, what do you know? We find ourselves traveling on this, like, road that we don't even know where it goes. I mean, to the nation of Israel, this must not have felt like rescue at all. To come out of this land where they had food to eat and they end up in the middle of this desert on this country road, I mean, it's probably a place that no one would want to travel. So I want you to think about this. Um, I've included this picture on your message notes today. You can uh, see it here up on the screen. Now, in the lower left-hand corner, uh, that's Egypt. All right, those are the pyramids down there, in case you couldn't figure that out. That's Egypt in the lower left-hand corner. Uh, let's say that represents where you are now. In the upper right, that's the land of milk and honey. That's the promised land, all right? So that's a jar of honey and a jug of milk. That's the land of milk and honey. I know, it's so good, isn't it? Like you're blinded by the artistic creativity on this. It's a gallon of milk, yeah. Gallons were cheaper, so I got that. Um, Okay, so I want you to allow the promised land, let's allow that to represent some goal you've set for yourself, all right? So in the bottom left, Egypt, that's where you are now. Upper right is the promised land. That's a goal you've set for yourself. It could be any goal, but something you want to achieve. Now, for me, this is best represented right now um, by uh, the marathon. I uh, just last week signed up for what will be my seventh marathon, but I haven't run one in about four. It'll be five years by the time I run this one. And... um, not as fast as I used to be. I'm a little bit soft and flabby. And so when I think about now training for a marathon, it's a little bit intimidating to me. Uh, I know where I am now, and where I am now, I can run about six miles. And where I need to get, I need to be able to run 26.2 miles without dying. Um, and so that's, that's a goal. It's a big goal. So here's what I know. My road to the promised land is eventually going to take me through a desert. My road to marathon training is going to take me to a time in the middle of winter where it's 15 degrees outside and I have an 18-mile run on my calendar. And I am going to have to decide at that moment in time, how bad do I want to get to the promised land? Right? I have to decide how bad do I want this goal because there's two options. In that moment, I have two options. I can take the easy way out and say, I want to avoid the pain and suffering and I'm going to turn around and go back to Egypt. Or... I can suffer through it and eventually get to the promised land. Now, for you, this could be any goal. Maybe it's, it's health and fitness, all right? And if you want to get back in shape, eventually there's going to come a day when you are hungry. <laughs> like, you're watching what you eat, you're exercising, but you are hungry, and somebody puts a pizza in front of you, and you've got to decide, am I going to do the easy thing and eat that entire pizza and the quart of ice cream that comes with it, or am I going to turn around and go back to Egypt? Maybe it's a college degree for you, and you've been out of school for a while, but you're going to pursue a college degree, and at some point, there's going to be a time where 
the housework seems to be piling up and the chores are, are, are massive and the work from work is happening at the same time. And then there's three term papers due this week. And all of a sudden you've got to decide, am I going to turn around and go back to Egypt or am I going to fight through this thing and endure the pain and suffering and eventually get to the promised land? No matter what your goal is, all right? No matter what the promised land looks like for you, there's going to come a time where it's going to lead you through the desert. And, and I know that if I choose to keep going, Knowing that there's going to be pain and suffering, it's turning me into the person I want to be. All right? And so even when you want to quit, when you think it would be good to just go back to Egypt, how you respond in those moments of pain and suffering, how you respond will make all the difference as to whether you ever get to the promised land. Now, the same is true with your faith. So if you've got your message notes now, you'll see that Egypt represents confident faith. Okay, just write that in that blank. Egypt is confident faith. That's that faith that happens right at the beginning uh, where we're, you know, everything is good. Everything is awesome. Uh, God is glorious. Prayers are working. Uh, I love reading the word. That's confident faith. Now, in the upper right, the promised land, that's where we all want to get to. That's that living faith that we talk about. We all know people who have living faith. No matter what happens, it doesn't shake their faith, right? No matter what happens, they know that God is good. Uh, When difficult things happen in our life, but we have living faith, that's when, as Scripture says, we are pressed on all sides but not crushed. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. That's our goal. That's where we want to be. Now, here's the problem. The road to living faith from confident faith runs right through the desert. It goes right through the wilderness. It is a winding road that goes right through the wilderness. In fact, the only way to get to living faith from the land of confident faith is to go through challenged faith, is to have our faith challenged. Often God's road for us, his path of rescue runs right through the place of challenged faith. It's a place where God is at work. He's not abandoned us, but maybe we still feel like prayer isn't working. We wonder if he's listening or if he cares. We may even begin to doubt his existence or question whether he is good or not. Look back at the story of the Israelites. We see that in this story. You'll find a lot of things that happened on the desert road. On the desert road, they experienced this. In Exodus 13, 21, it says, By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. That all the time they were on the desert road, God was leading them. Whether it was day or night, God was ahead of them. And watch this, Exodus 14, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. You all remember this scene from the Ten Commandments movie, Charlton Heston, right? He raises his staff. And all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That happened on the desert road. Then we go to Exodus 15, verse 22. We see this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Uh, This is why the place is called Marah. The word Marah is Hebrew for bitter. Uh, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. There's that response again, isn't it? Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. (laughs) On the desert road where they watched God do some pretty amazing things, and their faith was challenged, sure, but you know, you'd think they, since they witnessed God operating in these incredible ways, they'd be good for the journey, right? But how did the Israelites respond in the next challenging season? If you go to Exodus 16, you'll see this. 
Exodus 16, 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, even after everything that's happened, after all the great things they've seen God do, when Israel's faith was challenged, it begins to shatter. They want to turn around and go back to Egypt. And they're complaining about where they are and what they don't have and what could have been. Their cry out to the Father has turned into complaints. Same group of people, two different responses. In Egypt, they cried out to God. In the desert, they complained about him. There's a distinct difference between crying out and complaining. A a cry is a deep lament. It's It's a desire for help. It's a plea in the middle of our suffering. You know, when my girls were toddlers, um, my wife would often say, and this maybe happened to your kids too, my wife would say, do you want mommy to hold you? They would uh, be in the middle of a store or surrounded by strangers, or stranger danger, uh, or even just people coming over to the house or whatever, and they would come up and they would do this, right? And, and my wife would say, you want mommy to hold you? And they would say, mommy hold you? And it was the cutest thing. I never wanted that season to end. In fact, we even stopped correcting them, right? Where you just let them say, mommy hold you? And maybe your kids did that too, but here, here was their posture. Mommy, hold you, right? And here's the thing. Even though they didn't have the right words, their loving parent knew exactly what they needed. They didn't even know what they were supposed to say, but their mom and dad knew what they needed. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a cry out. A complaint is a verbal raid against injustice that we perceive. It's our way of saying, we deserve better than this. Now, if this is the posture for crying out, this is the posture for complaining, right? We can see this sometimes uh, during music. (laughs) Some people are like this, and some people are like this. We see this sometimes with our kids, don't we? Sometimes they're like this, they're crying out, and then when they don't get that what they want, what do they do? You can't even see their face sometimes, right? Because they don't don't look at you. Right? So this is the posture of complaint. And the difference between the two can be boiled down to just one thing. It's trust. In crying out, we express our determination to trust God. When my girls would say, mommy holds you, what they knew was that the only person that could remedy that situation right then was their mom. That, that nobody else was going to make that right. When we trust God, when we cry out to God, we know that God, you are the only person who's going to make this right. Right? Even when it hurts, We express our determination to trust God when we cry out to him. Crying out to God means expressing our pain and suffering and our need for help. In crying out, we can express that we trust him fully, that we recognize that he's the one who loves us. He sees us. He hears our cries. He is concerned. We can trust him even when his response is delayed or not what we expected. But complaining, I mean, complaining to God is the opposite of trusting him. And instead of trusting him and trusting his response, complaining reveals an attitude that says, I know what's best, and I demand that God respond to it the way I want to. Jeff Mannion, in his book, The Land Between, says it this way, there's something about enduring a season of unremitting difficulty that is faith-clarifying. The question before us is this, will we endure this trial, fill in the blank, unemployment, infertility, 
runaway teenager or runaway spouse, unexplained depression, humiliating financial setback, and still possess a faith that is alive and well? Will we pass through this vast disappointment and still cling to the belief that God is good, that God is wise, that God is loving? Will we trust God? Or will our faith in a good, wise, and loving God evaporate as our patience grows thin and our spirits tire? So here's the bottom line for us today. Every one of us is going to face a difficult season. And we're going to face a season of challenged faith. We're all going to go through difficult times. I mean, take a look again at that painful thing that you wrote down in your desert. I mean, think about it. What in your life has you challenged right now? What has you disappointed, disillusioned, maybe even questioning your faith? Maybe it's a relationship for you. Relationship isn't going well or it ended and you didn't expect it to end. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. You didn't expect it. It came way too early. Maybe it's a financial challenge. Maybe it's your fears. It's nothing's happened, but you're just afraid something's going to happen. Here's the thing. You have two possible responses to God. In that desert, you have two possible responses to God. You can complain to God, reject him, turn from him, run from him, or you can cry out to him. You can. It's more than okay. God wants that for you. It's what he wants for his relationship with you. And if, and if you don't quit, you don't give up, but you cry out to God for his help, you will find out who you really are, and he will walk through the desert with you. Author Paul Miller reminds us that God takes everyone he loves through the desert. Because if you let it, the desert can be fertile ground for some of God's greatest work in your life. It was true for the Israelites. They got to see God do some amazing things in the desert. It's in the desert where we can realize that God is all we have. And when you realize that God is all you have, that's when you know that he is all you need as well. Paul Miller goes on to say that the best gift of the desert is God's presence. He likes to look at the 23rd Psalm to remind us of that. So I'm going to look at that together as we close our message today. Um, The 23rd Psalm, some of you know this. I would love to, can we just read this together? Can we read this out loud together? Let's do that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, in the beginning of the psalm, the shepherd is in front of me. He leads me beside the still waters, verse 2 says. In the end, he's behind me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But in the middle, when we walk through the desert, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. It's his presence that gives us the strength to continue through the desert. I just want to assure you this morning, there's there's nothing wrong with wanting God to take away your pain and your suffering, to pull you out of the desert. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he pulls us, he just reaches down and snatches us right out of that. But, but sometimes the journey is long 
and it's difficult and it goes through a really dry season in our faith. But here's what is true. He is a father that promises to be with us even as we walk through the difficulty. He will not abandon us in the desert. He will hear your cries and he will be concerned. You know, even Jesus went through a time of challenged faith. You know, on the night before Jesus died, he cried out to his father and asked if there was another way. Like, like, could he be delivered from his suffering? But there was no other way. And so Jesus endured the most difficult desert anyone can imagine when he gave up his life on the cross. And on the cross, it was the only time that we see Jesus asking his father, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? This dry season in Jesus's life. But the cross means that Jesus suffered for us that he endured a period of separation from God so that you and I would never have to. Knowing that God is leading you, that he's behind you, and that he's with you is the first step to getting through what you're going through. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the midst of difficult seasons, it's sometimes hard to see you at work. And I know I personally sometimes long for those days in Exodus 13 where you were the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night just so that when I go into those tough times and when I go through suffering, I could see you right in front of me. But God, you've called us to act by faith, to walk by faith and to believe that you care and believe that you hear our cries. And Lord, for for some of us, sometimes it's so difficult. And so Lord, would you please reveal yourself? I pray right now for the people in this room who are in a very difficult season. They're in a dry and desert land. Lord, would you let them know in a unique way that only you know how, that they are not alone, that you are with them, that you go before them, that you care about them, that you hear their cries. And Lord, I just pray that that would happen uh, in a way that's so supernatural that we could not deny that it's you working in their lives. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he endured the desert so that we don't have to eternally. And we pray these things in his name.